All right, open your Bible to Genesis chapter 7. Um, I love the book of Genesis. And what I really want to do today, my hope and my prayer today, is we, we're going to read a good chunk of Scripture. We're going to read chapter 7. And um, really, we're going to read uh, chapter 7 and... Um, Almost all of chapter 8. I'm going to leave the very end of chapter 8 because we're going to, it's really going to kind of go with chapter 9 and chapter 10, which will begin next week. So, Genesis chapter 7. I want to read one verse out of chapter 6. I want to read verse 3. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. That is not declaring that we could possibly live to be 120 years old. That's not a span of age that man can live. God is talking about his timetable of bringing the destruction of the flood upon the earth. This is a countdown. From the time God declares this, this is really the only way this verse makes any sense at all. Um, This is a countdown, and God is saying, I will not strive with flesh, this wicked world. His days shall be 120 years. Now, let's begin in chapter 7. The reason I wanted to read that is because I want you to see that God says, For he is indeed flesh. Man is flesh. And this is very important in what we will talk about today. So let's go to chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was about six hundred years old when the flood, when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. 
They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, all of all flesh in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I love that. God closed the door behind him. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, upward, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Chapter 8. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. Then the ark rested on the seventh month and 17th day of the month on the mountain of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass in the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven which had kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up on the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned to the ark, into the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth, so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the seventh in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters dried up from the earth, <clears throat> and Noah removed the covering of the ark and took and indeed and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the seventh month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful 
and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. So let's look at this account of the flood of Noah. There is just so much here that I will not possibly be able to cover all of this. I want to just give you some verses that I want you to note uh, as we talk about uh, some of these things today. Uh, you might just make a little note in your Bible if you're taking notes. Uh, note Genesis 7 1. Uh, Genesis 7 1. And I want you to note specifically, we're going to talk about this in quite a bit of detail here. The statement God makes concerning Noah when he says, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. I also want to call to your attention verse 16. Uh, Those that entered male and female of all flesh went in and the Lord shut him in. God closed the door behind Noah. Why is that significant? Uh, It it is significant in a lot of ways, but it, it tells us something about God. It tells us something about the relationship God has with us. God didn't just leave Noah to himself. God does not leave us to ourselves. God had a plan and a purpose in everything he did. God has a plan and a purpose in everything you're going through in your life right now. Uh, verse 17 is another verse I want you to note. Now the flood was on the earth and for 40 days the waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. Uh, I have in my Bible a little reference there to Ephesians 2.16 where it says that God has lifted us up and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because we need to understand what is this story about? Why, why did God put this here? And we're going to talk about that. Another verse that I want you to note is verse 23. Verse 23 says at the end of that verse that only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained. Remember last week I said don't think of a remnant as only being a small number. Now in this case it was a small number. It was only eight souls. But the word remnant means remainder. What shall remain? When it's all said and done, what shall remain? Only that which is of Christ shall remain. What remained after the flood? Only Noah and those who were joined to him. I hope you are beginning to see the parallels here. Uh, Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1, God remembered Noah. I want you to note verse 8 of chapter 8. He sent out from himself a dove. Jesus told his disciples, I am going away. Why? So that I can send the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, what descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove? Of, of a dove. The Holy Spirit did. Jesus was ultimately the resting place of the Holy Spirit. Noah sent out from himself a dove. These are picturing things for us. They're communicating things for us. These are not just stories in and of themselves, for themselves. They are stories written for us, pictures painted for us to reveal something of substance to us. 
Verse 16 is another verse. Go out of the ark. God commanded Noah, go out. What did Jesus command his disciples? Go, therefore. Verse 17. It wasn't just a command to go. It was a command to be fruitful and to multiply. What did Jesus command us? Go and make disciples of all the nations. What is that? It is an expansion, a multiplication, an increase of his kingdom. This is the same thing God told Adam in the beginning. There is an image that's being multiplied that's filling the earth. What is that image? The New Testament tells us that image is Christ. Another is verse 18. Noah went out. You notice that God said go and Noah obeyed. God told the disciples go and they obeyed. And God helped them obey even better when he sent the persecution to Jerusalem. You read about it in Acts chapter 8. They weren't obeying very well, so God helped them obey. How'd you like to, you know, Noah's not going to stay in that ark. Can you imagine what that ark was like after, uh, after that long with all those animals in there? He's like, finally, whew, I can get out of this thing, right? Sometimes God lets our life get kind of stinky because it motivates us. I'm just saying. At least he does that with me. I know he does that with me. In verse 20, Noah, I didn't read verse 20, but the first thing Noah did when he came out of the ark was worship God. Noah built an altar. So what is the gospel application? Let me just give you a summary of the gospel application of what we just read. God is painting the shadow with the substance in view. Do you hear me? The story of Noah and the flood is a shadow. God is painting a shadow with the substance in view. God's word to Noah in Genesis 7-1, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation simply means that God began to relate to Noah by grace as a picture and an image of Jesus Christ. God saving Noah and his family is not about God saving the best and putting away the rest. God does not pick people the way we pick tomatoes and avocados on the produce aisle. Do you understand me? This is not about relative goodness. This is about God's grace. The account of Noah paints a very large and detailed picture of God's grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Noah pictures God bringing life out of one man and all who are joined together with that man. It's a picture of God putting away flesh and relating to man in a covenant of grace in the spirit and life of Christ. It's not only a story of salvation, but a story of salvation through judgment. Are you listening? We must never think that the cross is only about salvation through forgiveness of sin. The cross is not just about the forgiveness of sins. The cross is about the forgiveness of sin through judgment. It's a story of newness coming from destruction of the old. It's a story of life coming out of death. It's a story of mercy coming out of judgment. Noah did not escape the experience of God's judgment. 
Noah passed through the flood in the ark and came through to life. How? By God's grace. We do not escape judgment. We escape condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. John 5, 24, Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will escape the judgment to life. What that word judgment there means condemnation. It doesn't mean we won't ever be judged. It means we will never be condemned because we have all been judged and found wanting in the cross. But praise God for Jesus Christ. So we don't escape judgment. In Christ, we pass through God's judgment in the cross and we escape his wrath like Noah did. Noah didn't escape the judgment. He escaped the wrath of God. We go through his judgment in the cross, coming out from death to life by God's grace in Jesus Christ. There is so much here in this account. But we can't just look at this account because this account is not recorded for us just so we have lots of interesting facts trying to figure out how many animals were on the boat and how God really did this and and, uh, what was the uh, geophysical things going on at the time. when That's really not at all the point of this account. I believe there was a real flood. I I just read two articles in the last month about this ocean they've discovered in the center of the earth. They say there's as much water under the earth than there are oceans on top of the earth. So if you read carefully and it says God broke up the fountains of the deep, a lot of people think, well, how did 40 days of rain flood the earth? It wasn't 40 days of rain. It was an ocean of water being joined with the oceans of water on top of the earth, on top of the rain, on top of everything that was coming down from above, coming up from beneath. Listen, that's all well and good. I believe this story literally. I believe the Bible literally. I believe in six days of creation. I believe in a real flood. But God didn't give us this account just to have lots of interesting science facts. God gave us this account because he wants us to see Jesus. He wants us to see his plan of salvation. He wants us to see his grace. He wants us to see how he relates to man God is sending a clear message. There is a way I will not relate to man, and there is a way I will relate to man. There is only one way he will relate to man. And so let's begin here in, with this verse in chapter, one, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, who's he talking to? He's talking to Noah. He says to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So God relates to Noah as a type of Christ. Noah is the shadow. Christ is the substance. Noah was created and given to us and dealt with the way God dealt with him because God is showing us a substance that is coming. Noah is a type of Christ in that God brought life out of one man and he brought life to all those who are joined together with that man. God did not bring Noah into the ark because Noah was sinless. Noah was not sinless. God didn't bring Noah into the ark because Noah was better than everybody else. It's true, Noah might have been much more moral than everyone else, but 
Noah, no man ever was saved by their morality. They weren't in Noah's day, and they are not in our day. The fact that Noah may have been a moral man had nothing to do with his salvation. This is a picture of grace, because our morality, we have no morality relative to God's holiness. <laughs> there is no morality we can walk in that, that can even come close to the holiness and absolute perfection that God commands. Noah did not walk in that type of holiness, though he may have been a very moral man. This is a picture of grace. God brought Noah into the ark to picture our salvation by grace through faith in Christ. God was painting the shadow with the substance in view. God related to Noah as a type of Christ. With Christ in view, God imputed his righteousness to Noah by grace, just like God imputes his righteousness to us by grace. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. Not because we're moral, but because God is graceful. So God related to Noah as a type of Christ. We also see that God related to Noah's family as a type of the church. The Lord said to Noah, because of your righteousness, you and all your family come in. Noah's family is a type of the church. God's chosen people. Who are God's chosen people? It is the church. God had a church in the Old Testament. Noah, was, Noah represents the church. His family represents the church, the righteous in the Old Testament. Those who received the imputed righteousness by faith in God, that was the church in the Old Testament. They happened to be ethnic Israel with, with some Gentiles sprinkled in there. So this is a picture of God's chosen people. Noah's family is a type of the church. In that God related to Noah's household through one man. God the Father relates to us through one man. You and I are related to the Father. We can have access in relation to the Father. How? By one man. Who is that one man? That one man is Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is not many paths. There are not many paths to God. There's only one man that can bring us to the Father. There was only one man that could bring those other seven people onto that ark, and that man was Noah. And those seven people, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives, were saved because they were joined to the one man Noah. You and I are saved today because we are joined to the one man, Jesus Christ. In fact, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says that we are one new man. God has created in himself one new man. He, in Christ, is that man. And we are members of that one man. And so where Christ goes, we go. Where Christ is accepted, we are accepted because we have been joined as one in Him. Paul says God broke down the middle wall of separation. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, but He has created in Himself one new man, and Christ is our peace. Noah, remember we did the genealogy? Noah means this is the one. This is what Lamech said. His son was born. 
He named him Noah, for this is the one who will give us rest from our work. That genealogy from Adam all the way to Noah paints a graphic picture of the gospel of Christ. And Noah is the one who would give man rest finally from his work. He is a type of Christ. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because you can't work hard enough to be acceptable to me. You can't be moralistic enough to be acceptable to me. There is a reason why we should be moralistic. There is a reason why we should be holy. There is a reason why we should live and walk out righteous lives. But it's not because we're trying to earn our salvation. It's because God has given to us that holiness, that righteousness. He has given us that. That is now our nature in Christ. And if that's our nature, then that should come out of our life. If God has imputed His righteousness, if He's put His righteousness in me, it stands to reason that righteousness should come out of me. The fact of righteousness coming out of us is not us trying to earn our way. It is showing that God has already made a way. So here's Noah's family, a type of the church. They were brought in by grace through faith because they trusted Noah. We are brought in by grace through faith because we trust Christ. Hebrews 3.6, but Christ as son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Why will we endure to the end? Because God will persevere us. He will preserve us. Just like Noah preserved his family and brought them into the ark, Christ will preserve us. He will. He has he is and He will save us. So those that entered male and female of all flesh, Genesis seven sixteen. Let me read this. So that those who entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. So they go into the ark and God closes the door. Now Noah... And his household and all the animals are in the ark. So if Noah is a type of Christ and Noah's family is a type of the church, what is the ark picturing for us? What is the ark revealing to us? The ark is a type of the cross. The ark, Genesis 6.16 says the ark had a lower, a middle, and an upper chamber. The ark had three chambers. So the ark had a door, it had a window, it had three chambers. The ark, like the cross, is a door that provided an exit from the old being destroyed and an entrance into the new being established. Do you realize that? The cross is a door. The ark was a door out of the old and into the new. The cross is a door out of the old and into the new. The cross provides an exit out of the old creation and an entrance into the new creation. It's a window through which we view the world. How do you look at the world? How do you view the world? You should view the world through the window of the cross. You should see the world not from a worldly point of view. Don't look at the world outside of the ark. Look at the world from, from the ark. And the ark hold 
had three chambers. The cross holds three realities, our death, our burial, and our resurrection. Christ was crucified. He was lowered and buried, put in a tomb, and he was raised up. The flood was the righteous judgment of God on a wicked world and sinful man. The only way to have life on the other side of the flood was to go through the door of the ark, which led out of the old and ultimately into a new life, a new world, if you will. When you pass through the door of the cross, you pass through from death to life. You pass through the cross being crucified to the world and the world crucified to you. You pass through into a new creation. Now, whether you comprehend that new creation or not is a totally different thing. There are a lot of people who have been born again, who have passed from the old into the new, and they have virtually no comprehension of the new that they have been brought into. This is why it is so important to read your Bible, to preach and teach the Bible with the gospel, with Christ in view. Don't just read Genesis 6, 7, and 8 and try to figure out how the flood really happened and how, how the ark and all the animals, and well, where were the unicorns? Listen, God, the Bible says God caused all the animals to come to the ark. God had a plan. God has a plan in everything. Don't read your Bible apart from Christ. Read your Bible with Christ in view because when you read the Old Testament, you're just reading shadows. And understand that the shadows were painted with Christ in view. They are given to you to reveal Christ to you. We've come, if you are in Christ today, if you have been born again, if you are saved today, if you're a child of God today, you've come from the old into the new. You've passed from death to life. You have come into a new creation. Do you have comprehension of the world you've been brought into, of the new creation you've been brought into? We need to have that comprehension. And this is why God's given us His Word, to give us that comprehension. So as you walk into and buy this new life, God in His grace grows you up in all things so that you come to see and comprehend the fullness of this new creation. In His grace and in His time, our spiritual comprehension will catch up to His finished work. Listen, our spiritual comprehension always lags behind His finished work. You don't always act like a righteous and holy person, do you? No, you don't. Neither do I. But yet the Bible says, when the Father looks at us, He sees us righteous and holy. Why? Because we always act righteous and holy? No, because Christ finished the work on the cross. Christ said, it is finished. Now that doesn't give you permission to go out and live like H-E-double-L. The point is, God delivered you from hell. Not so you could live like it, but so you could experience His glory. And that you would, even you, would glorify Him. Our comprehension of the finished work always lags behind. This is why God gave us the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit has been given to us, poured into us, has filled us. I mean, the moment you were born again, He put His Spirit in you. And it is the ongoing work of the Spirit to bring you to comprehend this new creation that you have become in Christ. It is the work of the Spirit to reveal to you all that you have been given in Christ Jesus. This is an ongoing work. It is the work of the Spirit to sanctify you, to conform you to become more and more like Christ in every way possible. And that work is ongoing and will continue as long as you live on this earth, probably even after that. Because you will never come to a place of knowing all there is to know about God because God is infinite. How are you ever going to come, if, if you can know everything there is to know about God, that means God is not infinite, he's finite. And if God is finite, then God is not God. So just think, throughout eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever, we will never grow bored with God. We will never come to the end of learning and seeing the new, the manifold wisdom of God. It will be new every morning because He is the infinite, eternal, glorious God of creation. If you, if you think for one moment you would ever be bored in heaven, you, have, you, you need to grow in your comprehension of what actually has happened to you and who God actually is. So the ark, the ark like the cross is a way out and a way in. The ark was the way out of death and a way into life. The cross is the way out of sin and death and the way into Christ who is our life. The cross of Christ is an exit and an entrance. Jesus is the way, and that way passes through the cross. Listen, and there is no other way. You cannot bypass the cross. The cross necessitates your death. The cross necessitates that you come to the end of yourself so that God can bring you in to the new He has established in Christ. You cannot, cannot bypass the cross unless you want to die in the flood like the world died in the flood. If you want to stay in your sin and in your death and live eternally in that, in God's judgment, then bypass the cross. But if you want to experience life on the other side of God's judgment, on the other side of the flood, on the other side of the cross, the only way is for you to go through the cross, and that means that you will end so that Christ can become your life. We don't like that. Because we, we want to have all that we want and God too. We want our cake and eat it too. And it doesn't work that way. That's why Jesus said, if you desire to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life if you want to find life. Try to keep your life, hang on to it, you'll lose it. So the ark pictures the cross in bringing God's judgment and God's rule upon the world. Hebrews 11:7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, 
prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to the faith, which is according to faith. You see that by Noah preparing the ark and saving his household, he condemned the world. The cross is not just our salvation. The cross is the condemnation of the world. The cross is not just the forgiveness of our sins. The cross is the judgment of this world. Noah prepared an ark by faith for the saving of his household. The preparation of the ark condemned the world and caused Noah to become heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The ark condemned the world while carrying one man and those joined to him by faith through that judgment and destruction to a new life and creation. So it is with the cross. You didn't earn your salvation. Noah's family didn't earn their salvation. They were carried to salvation because of Noah. We don't earn our salvation. We're carried to salvation because of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ is the substance pictured in the shadow that is the ark. In the cross, God judged the world and destroyed all flesh, putting it out of his sight and putting all things under Christ. How are we to understand this reality? This is why I pointed out some of these verses to you. I wanted you to see that God's purpose was that he would destroy all flesh. Genesis seven seventeen, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh. Why, why did God do that? If you, don't, if you don't understand that God is painting shadows with the substance in view, you're going to think God is just some mean, grumpy old guy. Are you going to bind all kinds of weird theories about why God destroyed everybody and saved Noah? Everybody else had the demon seed except Noah. I, I used to believe that but I don't believe that. This isn't about demon seeds. This isn't about corrupted DNA. This is a picture of grace. This is God showing us. See, ultimate salvation didn't come with Noah. The flood really didn't accomplish anything except it painted a grand picture for us. It was, it, it really, I mean, everything in the Old Testament is doing this, but I mean, this is like a, flashing neon sign that's so big you can't miss it saying a savior is coming god is saying i do not relate to man according to the flesh flesh has got to be put away so in the cross god judged the world and destroyed all flesh putting it out of his sight and putting all things under christ so how is it that we understand this reality so the world was condemned already in unbelief. So here's the shadow. The world was already condemned when Noah began building the ark. The world became condemned. Man became condemned at the fall. 
And even that's a shadow that was painted with the substance in view. So here's the substance. The world was already condemned in unbelief when Christ came. John three seventeen and 18, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Why didn't He send Jesus to condemn the world? Because the world was already condemned. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What's the Scripture teach us? There are none righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek after God. Well, how did Noah believe? By the grace of God, he believed. How did Abraham believe? Abraham, Abraham here's a pagan moon worshiper. And God speaks to him, calls him. And he trusted God who initiated that relationship. God did. How did Abraham come to trust Jesus, to trust God? By grace, he did. The world was judged in the cross. Here's the shadow. The ark brought God's judgment on the world. It says when Noah prepared the ark, he prepared the world to be condemned. At the very same time, he was preparing his family to be saved. Here's the substance we see through the shadow of the ark. The cross brings about God's judgment of the world. John 12, 31, the words of Jesus just before he is getting ready to be taken and crucified. He's preparing his disciples. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now is the judgment of this world. Jesus, before he goes to the cross... Literally hours before the cross, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Well, surely Jesus didn't really mean what he said. He Now must not mean now. Now must mean something else, right? No, now means now. God has put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus. But now we do not see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. This is a truth. The judgment of the world has come. God has put all things under the feet of Jesus. This is what the Bible teaches us. So here's the shadow. In the days of Noah, God destroyed the first world and the first man in the flood and then gave the new creation into Noah's hand. We see this in Genesis 9, 1 and 2. Where God tells Noah, go out, be fruitful, multiply. All the animals are going to be scared of you, but I've given them into your hand. He basically says, here's the new earth, Noah. Here's, here's, here it is. It's in your hands. I give it to you. This is the shadow. What's the substance? In the days of the Son of Man, God has destroyed the old and ushered in a new creation in Christ, putting all things under Him. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews writes for us, quoting the Old Testament. You have put all things in subjection under His feet. For in that He put all in subjection under Him, He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we do not yet see all things put under Him, but we see Jesus. Watch the news, read the newspaper. It doesn't look like God's in control, does it? We've got war here and tragedy here and uh, 
cataclysmic destruction there. Say, man, the world's out of control. No, the world's not out of control. The world is firmly in the control of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible specifically says that all things have been put under the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things right now. We could say it like this. It is absolute controlled chaos. God is absolutely in control of what appears to be chaos in the world. It's not chaos. It's God ruling and reigning and accomplishing His plan, His will, His purpose. So Christ in His rule is filling all in all. And that filling begins within you before it moves beyond you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Christ wants to fill all in all and that needs to begin in you. Before you start looking about how God is controlling things out here, all these externals that, that we get so worried about, we better start looking in and trying to figure out, is, does God have this? What's happening in here? What's going on with the kingdom within me? Because there's a good chance God uses, is using a lot of this stuff out here to deal with what's going on in here. So here's what Ephesians 1, and 23 says, And he put all things under his feet. He put what? All things under his feet. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Who is filling all in all? Christ is. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see therefore indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now there's a kingdom expanding, pushing out everywhere. But what we need to look to first and be concerned with first priority is the kingdom of Within us. Who cares if all this out in the world gets swallowed up by the kingdom if my own heart doesn't? The kingdom needs to swallow up my heart. The kingdom, my heart needs to be taken in and ruled by the kingdom. The flood didn't solve anything, but it painted a picture of the solution. And the solution has always been God in His grace relating to man, not in flesh, but in the spirit of life in Christ. God's promise to never cut off all flesh again by the flood is not because man became better somehow after the flood. The flood was not to make man better. The flood was only a shadow revealing the substance that was coming. Luke 17, through 27 talks about the days of the Son of Man. And, and Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. But first, he must, he must fall into the hands of sinners. Jesus was talking about his, something that was getting ready to happen in his day. He was getting ready to go to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus was going to judge the world, put away flesh, and establish a new creation in a way that God would relate to man by the Spirit and life in Christ. Not by dead works, not by animal sacrifices, not by religious systems. 
So in the flood, God destroyed all flesh except Noah, who was a picture and an image of Christ, and his household, which was a picture and an image of the church. So the shadow was the releasing of judgment that destroyed all flesh through the flood in the days of Noah. The substance is the cross judging all flesh, judging the world, flesh that must be crucified because God no longer relates to us according to the flesh, but according to a new creation in the Spirit. When did that come about? That came about in the days of the Son of Man. That came about when Jesus went to the cross in death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.16, We therefore from now on regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now. All things are of God. So God no longer relates to man according to the flesh or the nature of the flesh. This is the picture of the flood destroying all flesh. Our relationship with the Father is not in the flesh but in the Spirit. Now all things are of God, God who is a Spirit. And the new covenant we have with God in Christ is not a fleshly, temporary covenant, but a covenant in the Spirit and eternal. The covenant, listen church, the covenant we have with God in Christ is based on what God gives to man in himself. In Christ, God gives to you what he requires and he relates to you in what he gives to you. I'm going to say that again because that is so important. In Christ, God gives to you what He requires, and God relates to you in what He gives you. After the flood, God no longer related to man according to man's nature, but according to His covenant and what He gives to man in Himself. This is what we call grace. Grace, listen, grace is God no longer relating to man based on what man brings to the table but according to what God gives to man in himself. God no longer relates to you in the things he has put away from himself, the things he has put away from his sight. God has put flesh away. He did it at the flood. He said, I'm going to destroy all flesh. But he left eight flesh and blood human beings. Why? Because they were shadows giving us a picture of something because At the cross in Christ, God really has put away all flesh. God doesn't see flesh. God doesn't relate to flesh. God does not consider flesh. He only considers his son. Therefore, if you are not in his son, you're in trouble. Because God has no way to relate to you outside of his son. There is no relation of life outside of the son. God's not going to, on that day of final judgment shown to us in the book of Revelation, God's not going to look at someone's life and say, well, they're pretty good. They're, I think they, they just barely made it over the mark. I guess I'll go ahead and save them. Kind of like that avocado, you know, in the produce aisle that's just almost, you know, but, but you, need, you need four avocados and there's only three that you can find that are good. I've got to have four. 
So you take the one that's the lesser of all the evils that are left there. I promise you that's not what God does with human beings. If you're not in Christ, you have no relation to the Father. Grace, listen, grace is not God tolerating you because he killed Jesus. Grace is God giving Jesus to you as your relationship with the Father. It's not just Jesus as your relationship, but it's Jesus as righteousness. It's Jesus as life, as glory. God gave Jesus to us as everything and for everything that pertains to life and godliness. God now relates to us by the Spirit in Christ. He does not relate to us according to the flesh. So God always held the substance in view as he painted the shadows. God never had two things in mind. He has only ever had one thing in mind, which is the expression of himself in Jesus Christ, his Son. Christ is the expression of God's mind, the expression of his will, his love, his wisdom, his character, his righteousness, his glory. He is the expression of the fullness of God because Christ is the fullness of God. It is Christ who is now filling all in all. It is always Christ the Father holds in view in all things. When you read these stories in the Old Testament, understand that it was Christ that the Father held in view when he flooded the earth. It was Christ that the Father held in view when he created Adam. It was Christ the Father held in view when he allowed Adam to fall. It was Christ he held in view when he called Abraham. It was Christ he held in view in everything he did, in everything he created. So Adam and Noah and all that leads up to Christ were only shadows God painted while Christ was always held in view. Colossians chapter 2 says all of these things, food, drink, festival, Sabbath, those are all shadows, but Christ is the substance. So let us, church, look to the substance and stop chasing shadows. Let us hold Christ in view and worship Christ who is the substance. And let us lay down our idols that are mere shadows or even worse. In all things, let us hold Christ in view. And know that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by His Spirit. Let's all stand. I want to read that scripture from Second Corinthians. Paul writes, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. If we hold Christ in view, you will not fail to be transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the living God. Whatever you are looking to, whatever you are setting your mind on, whatever you're setting your eyes on, that is what you are being conformed to. So here's my challenge to you. I want you to examine how you believe God relates to you. Does your walk, does your talk, and your thoughts concerning your relationship with God reflect the belief that God is relating to you in the flesh 
or in the Spirit in Christ? Is God relating to you based on your ongoing work? Or is He relating to you based on His finished work? I want you to examine how you relate to others. Do you relate to others according to the flesh and relative goodness? Or do you in grace relate to them according to the Spirit in Christ? If God no longer relates to us in the flesh, why do we relate to one another as believers in the flesh? Grace is not what we bring to the table, but what God has given us in himself. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. So let's freely receive his grace and let's freely give his grace to one another in love so that the world will know that we are truly his disciples. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we confess that we stand before you today only by your grace. There is nothing in us. There is no goodness. There is not one iota of goodness in us that merits us to be able to stand in your presence. The only way that we can come boldly or come at all into your presence is by the blood of Jesus. Father, we ask that you would pour your love and your grace into our hearts. Pour that love into our hearts for one another and for you. We confess our sin of relating to one another according to the flesh. Lord, we confess our sin of viewing our relationship with you according to the flesh and not properly discerning, Lord, the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us and toward us by your Spirit. Empower us, Lord. Empower us by your Spirit to love, to love freely as we have been loved. Help us to see that we have brought nothing to the table that merits any measure of grace that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you, God, for pouring your love into our hearts. Thank you for giving us hope in hopeless situations. Not because we can see how our situations will ultimately end, but because we keep you in view And we know that you never fail. Your love never fails. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You carry us through as we pass through all things. Thank you for making us light in the Lord, even though we were once darkness. God, we ask you today that you would empower us to walk as children of light that we would be a witness to you and that we would glorify you in all things. That the world would know that we are your disciples. We thank you, Father, for your great love with which you love us in Christ Jesus. Lord, bless the food as we get ready to go next door. Thank you for all that prepared it and 
made this meal possible. Bless our food. Let it be nourishment to our bodies. Bless our fellowship, God, as we fellowship with one another and love one another in Christ. Amen.